Well, folks, I couldn't stay away for long. It is the Go Be Great podcast with Michael Contento presented by Hardo Sports. Um, I'm back, folks. I couldn't stay away. Uh, I was excited after UNC's big win at Cameron Indoor Stadium against Duke on Saturday. I almost recorded an emergency podcast to discuss that one, as well as some other things that happened in the NBA. But I'm back. Uh, I know I said that episode two is going to be on Selection Sunday, and I still plan on dropping episode three, which will now be episode three, on Selection Sunday. I think the plan for that one is just to talk about uh, the matchups that will happen on Thursday and Friday, um, and then the final four and championship that I have in my bracket, because I don't think you guys will want to hear about 63 games, especially um 32 of them that you know may not have the correct two teams in there so i think that'll be a good way for me to talk about how the teams have gotten there and review some things that have happened in one of the best weeks of the year which is championship week which starts it already has started technically with a couple of teams already getting their bids into the big dance but uh, a lot more starting up tomorrow and into the week i know i mentioned on episode one that i will be going to the acc quarterfinal on thursday and now i'm even more fired up as i said the big unc victory against duke at cameron indoor where they were 12 point underdogs and it was coach k's last home game and all you know there were 100 or so which is about half of the alumni that coach k is Uh, had at Duke in his career in the building, as well as the NBA commissioner and Jerry Seinfeld, Ken Jeong. I'm sure there were a couple of other celebrities in the building as well. And for UNC to go in there, uh, what a game for them. But I'm going to go into that a little bit more in depth in one second. I want to make a couple notes on episode one. Um, You know, first of all, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I know there weren't, you know, too many but you have to start somewhere and I'm, I'm pretty confident that the more consistency I have and like I mentioned before I'm going to try to say that one a week is coming but obviously it seems that I, right at least right now I'm going to be able to do two um, and I hope to keep that up through the summer because hopefully 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 baseball will be back and I'll be able to talk about that also Um, While I was kind of editing my podcast, a couple of things that came up on my downloads from last summer where I worked as a play-by-play and color broadcaster for a local collegiate baseball team called the North Jersey Eagles uh, came up and I kind of listened to it and I'll be uh, retaining my role this summer and I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, to get some reps under my belt, like I mentioned with you on episode one. That is my end goal, is to be a play-by-play or color broadcaster. Or, you know, I would prefer baseball, but I'd definitely be open to some other sports. So to get some reps under my belt at 21 and now 22 years old is really priceless. Um, And to get to know those guys was also really cool last summer. So I'm excited about that. Uh, The notes from episode one. I'm going to try to reduce saying uh and obviously because I think, 
you know, the flow of the podcast is better, the more I can reduce saying those two things. Um, it is going to be hard for me. I'm trying to just get better at this. So uh, stick with me, but we're going to try to do that. Uh, number two, a little bit more energy. I don't know if it's my voice. I don't know if it's the speed of which I talked in episode one. Um, before I was about to record in another fashion, uh, something came up on my downloaded uh, MP4 files or MP3 files. And it was a project from school a couple of years ago where I did a podcast with my friend Mike Girolametti for our sports broadcasting class. Uh, we were very blessed to have the great Paul Paps as our professor at Sacred Heart University. Um, he is the main producer of the Dan Patrick show. So we obviously get an amazing guy to learn from. And I, you know, one thing he always told us was to make sure that you can, you know, understand what is being said and not to talk too fast. You know, you always think that you're talking too slow and then all of a sudden, you know, it sounds like you're on 2x speed. Um, now, I kind of listened back to that for a minute or two, and I maybe it's because I was talking to someone else, but I was definitely a little quick in there. So the difference between that and today is pretty great. I think I'm a lot better than I was two or three years ago. So another uh, note that I had, I already mentioned this, I believe, is episode three will drop on Selection Sunday or uh, Monday after that in the morning just going to go through the first round matchups um two more quick notes and then i'm going to get into a lot of college basketball and then a little bit of nba on today's pod um incorrectly said that the dodgers won the world series i'm honestly pretty embarrassed about that one folks um you know you can't get that wrong the atlanta braves won the last world series so i apologize for the mistake and based on the analytics of my Spotify account, it doesn't seem like too many people made it to the end of pod one. So maybe I kind of snuck that one in there without anyone realizing my mistake. So maybe I got lucky. Um, but I think that's also maybe a problem with baseball that I don't remember. I'm Maybe it's just that I'm a Yankee fan. I don't really know. But last one I want to do is shout out to Brussels, Belgium. Um, cool little thing that you have on your RSS feed when you start a podcast. As you can see where the downloads came from uh, with small dots on the map. And when I opened it, I kind of was just expecting to see a couple dots scattered around the Northeast where I know I have friends. You know, I saw a couple uh, in my hometown, obviously. I saw a couple... Um, in Hartford, Connecticut, which makes sense. I know I have a few friends from college that live around that area. And I saw one from Virginia, which I don't really know who that could have been, to be honest with you. So maybe, you know, it is reaching some other people outside of just people that in my immediate circle or that follow me on social media. But I did have one from Brussels, Belgium. So if you were that listener, I appreciate you. I don't know how you found the Go Be Great podcast, but you are definitely a valued, valued fan. So 
let's get into it. I've got UNC versus Duke on my first note for this pod. I think the rest of the way, I'm just going to kind of go into, uh, you know, a preview into the tournament and the conference tournaments a little. I don't want to, you know, go through every one and give matchups. I don't think you guys would be too interested in that. But I do want to talk uh, a couple of things that I've seen in Joe Lenardi's bracket that he is projecting thus far. Uh, talk about a couple of teams that I see that are good upset picks for the first round based on what he has in his recent bracket that he actually updated uh, March 7th at midnight. So that would be nine hours ago by the time this podcast drops. And uh, one team that I see that has limped into March that I don't think we should sleep on. Um, A couple of other short things about college basketball, and then I'm going to very briefly go over the MLB. And I mean, I, I could pretty much do that now. The MLB is seemingly moving farther away from where they were when they left Florida. They're not uh, any closer reaching to reaching an agreement at this current moment. Uh, MLB actually released a statement today where they said they are further from where they were when they left Florida. And, you know, I honestly don't feel bad for the owners. Like I mentioned in episode one, or mostly, like I said, for 20 minutes, I feel like on episode one, um, I don't know if they think that people feel bad for them. At the end of the day, this is what MLB fans care about. Is the product going to be on the field and how fast? Anything else that's being discussed, honestly, people don't care. People don't care about the CBT. People don't care about the uh, raising the, the salary. Uh, I saw multiple things today that are being discussed for this new deal that I could honestly tell you as a baseball fan, I'd be depressed to see. I'd be depressed to see the elimination of the shift. I think that's a whole different, that's a part of the game. It's a strategy of the game. And if you take that out, I'm not sure I agree with it. Maybe limiting it is something that they could look into or the amount of people on one side of the base or in the outfield, because, you know, you see guys, that are pull guys that are lefties. I mean, Joey Gallo is one of them and I'm not necessarily a Joey Gallo fan. He obviously is a member of the Yankees for another year. If, well, I'm not sure if the season is missed this year, which that would be worst case scenario. If he would be on the team for the next year, or if his contract would run out with the Yankees, he's uh, on the team for one more year, but I'm not sure that I agree with four outfielders in the outfield or, you know, a a guy like that. Sometimes it's four guys in the outfield and the second baseman in, in short right field. So maybe limiting stuff like that. I also see a pitch clock of 14 seconds. I mean, even in, in the college league that I did over the summer, I can tell you 14 seconds would have been violated many times. Um, 25, I I saw Will Middlebrooks was tweeting this. 25 seconds may work, but I really don't think the pitch clock is going to do much of anything to speed up the game. So I don't know if that's a rule that really needs to be talked about when the important issues are clearly 
they are very far apart, the two sides. Um, another thing I saw was the uh, bases being bigger. I mean, I guess there maybe is a slight problem at first base with some of these guys stepping on, on ankles of the first baseman and stuff. Uh, but I don't know if that's a necessarily large issue either. So, like I said, it doesn't seem like they're any closer to a deal. And honestly, it does seem like they're a little bit further. So, it seems right now that another week of the season is going to be canceled this week, uh, lowering the total of games so far to about 150. And I, I, like I said on episode one, I don't really see this going any much better than 140 games uh, missing a whole year. I did mention, I think, a beautiful way to start the season after the way that baseball has kind of tarnished their, their fans and, you know, the way people think about the league and the game. It would be a great way to start the season on April 15th, Jackie Robinson Day, but it doesn't seem likely, I think, May 1st, and unfortunately, maybe now even a later date than May 1st is more likely for a start to the season, if there is one. I mean, let's let's just be real. It does not look good for Major League Baseball. Um, one more thing about the sport of baseball and softball while we're at it in general is I, I did have the take of I don't know if college baseball and the KBO and MPB would be enough. Um, I think I was letting the the sadness that I feel that games are being missed and that spring training isn't isn't happening right now uh, sway how I feel a little bit. Listen, college baseball, NPB, KBO, even college softball, the talent is not the same as the MLB. I understand that. Everybody understands that. But the culture and the environment of these other four leagues is absolutely awesome. You go and watch some of these college baseball and softball games, and I really wanted to bring up college softball real quick because I was watching SportsCenter while I was writing up a couple of things that I wanted to talk about on episode two today. And I saw the LSU highlights, the uh, LSU softball team, and they had a left fielder making a nice diving catch. And then in the next game that they had over the weekend, she had an absolute bomb to right field. Um, and I, this sport, college softball, just does not get talked about enough. It only gets its shine uh, when the college world or when the softball World Series is on. And I don't think that's enough. I mean, it looks like a great sport to be at you know in in the stadium which i think you know for me personally that's always the best part of the season is when you get to go to an mlb stadium and see your team or you know over last summer i actually went on a mlb ballpark trip and i got to see five parks that i had never been to before which included pittsburgh detroit both chicago's and milwaukee um and that was awesome for me I think, like I said, being at the stadium is the best part of the sport. You know, being in that atmosphere, there's nothing like it. 
and softball, man. Every time the World Series is coming around, and I remember, I, I think last year it was when the James Madison pitcher made a diving catch off the mound. I mean, this sport has a lot of electricity with it, and um, they don't get their shine. So hopefully, you know, if God forbid this MLB stuff goes on longer, you know, the, the slots where MLB was sl- is in for, you know, primetime television and put put those college baseball games on, put those put those college softball games on. Uh, let's, you know, the 4 a.m. Asian starts with KBO and NPB will be no problem. If you want to go tape those or catch the highlights on Twitter, that'll be good too. Um, but let's let's fill that void and let's let's try to keep the game in a good spot while MLB tries to figure their shit out. So that's enough about MLB for today. Uh, I wasn't going to really talk about them much at all, but they were on my mind and they'll frequently be on my mind while I'm talking about, you know, while I'm recording this pod and talking about sports with friends and whoever will talk about sports with me really. So um, I'm going to get into the college basketball now. I have NBA a little bit on the list. I'm kind of watching from afar. And I did mention, uh, you know, the King maybe dropping from my go to bait. And then the next game, he has 56 and 10. So we're going to talk about him a little bit at the end of the episode, as well as some other things going on in the NBA. But I want to start off from Raleigh, North Carolina, where, or Durham, North Carolina, excuse me, where Duke took a big loss to my North Carolina Tar Heels at Cameron Indoor for Coach K's last game. Now, Coach K is the most winningest coach in college basketball, and he is set to retire this year. And, you know, as a UNC fan, I can honestly say that I wish him the best. I hope that retirement treats him well. I hope that this is what he really wants and that he's not going to, you know, be done and then stay around the team or try to impose himself on the program. But we're talking about coach K here. And if you expect that to happen, and then I don't know if you were watching, you know, the whole big to do about his retirement, this entire year where he's been getting at every stop, but North Carolina, basically uh, a parade and a plaque and a piece of the cord and a piece of the net from the, from the basket and all a bunch of stuff. And then Duke goes and rolls the team by 30. But that wasn't UNC. UNC, when we hosted them a couple weeks ago, we basically mentioned Coach K a slight amount before the game, and that was about it. Now, UNC in that game, they came out flat, and Duke came out ready to play. And they were sending North Carolina fans to the exits about six minutes into the game as uh, they started on like a 31 to eight run and they never looked back. They won that game by 20 points. Um, And I think between that loss and, you know, UNC obviously knew that people were going to be hyping up coach K's last game. And, you know, I'm sure all week leading up to the game uh, they were seeing all the love on Twitter coach K was getting from ESPN and other, other sources. And, 
you know, no one really was giving UNC much of a chance in this game. Uh, 12 point dogs by Vegas and, you know, a hundred alumni in the stands and Jerry Seinfeld, Ken Jong, Adam Silver. I'm sure there were others. And what does UNC go in and do? Well, they spoil the party and they spoil it well. They win by 10 points at Cameron, 94-81. Um, it was a great game for North Carolina. Uh, it was, you know, I think last season, what a part of the problem was for the Tar Heels was that we were expecting Armando Baycott to be uh, our number one player. And maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But he just wasn't good enough to really carry the load for the Tar Heels and to make them a real competitor last year. And boy, oh boy, has he turned into the guy for North Carolina. 23 points, seven rebounds, a big block at the end of the game where uh, Duke was down four points and threatening to go down by two with a layup. And Baycott pins it off the board, and that was the deciding play of the game, basically, because uh, Duke never got closer than that, and UNC went on to win by 10. But what a game for the Tar Heels. So just reading a couple of the stats, the Tar Heels only had six players record more than 30 minutes in this one. So for those six guys, oh, excuse me, am I reading that wrong? Five guys that played 30 minutes or more. So the starting five basically plays most of the game. Two guys never come out of the game. R.J. Davis from Archbishop Stepanak, which we interviewed his high school coach and A.J. Griffin on the other side at Duke. We interviewed his high school coach, uh, Patrick Masseroni, on the uh, What a Hardo podcast a couple of years ago, and that was a great interview. That was right before R.J.'s freshman year at North Carolina. And, another, you know, the guard play for UNC has been pretty streaky this year. And R.J. Davis looked like he was on phase, 21 points. Caleb Love didn't have the best game, but he still uh, did enough for us to, to get a win. 22 points. I believe his shooting percentages were a little low. But, I mean, Armando Baycott, 23-7. and seven. Brady Manick was shooting the lights out. He played all 40 minutes as well. So a couple guys came off the bench and just gave, you know, gave us a couple minutes here and there. The only guy that scored off the bench was Puff Johnson, Cameron Johnson's brother. Um, so what a game for this the UNC starting five. Now, so these two programs going into the ACC tournament are the one and three seeds. And, you know, for Duke, I think the question is, does this loss kind of put them in a weird spot going into this week? And to be honest with you, I don't think so. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how big of a win streak that Duke was on previous to this game. I believe their last loss must have been Virginia, which was their first game after coming into Chapel Hill and sending our fans to the exits after five minutes of the game. Um, so I, I think that this loss 
you know, for Duke, it's kind of bulletin board material, you know. First of all, if for Duke to um, really expect their players to play well in that type of environment is pretty funny to me. I mean, first of all, the game was never about any guy on the court for Duke. It was all about Coach K, the, you know, ESPN didn't talk about either side of the of the game really at all. It was all about Coach K. It was all about his career. Um, you know, the pregame was all every for you to put that type of pressure on the players. A hundred guys that Coach K has coached over his long career in the stands. You know, the I saw that there were, the prices were ridiculous for getting into the stadium i think the highest seat went for $79,000 which i mean talk about living in a first world country $79,000 for a college basketball game um you know the the kids at duke and i have a cousin that that went to duke so it's pretty funny i i guess the next time i see her i'll have to really get on her a little bit but she has an ultimate comeback in which I did not actually go to North Carolina, so you know she can she can pull that card out on me. Um, you know, I think Kville, the whole thing is pretty cool, but you know, I think I'd be pretty mad if I was a Duke Duke student and I was staying outside half of the time for the month up to the game, and you know the whole week for the game you have to uh, stay in the tent. So I'd be pretty mad if if my team came out and didn't win Coach K's last game and uh, looked like that. Um, on the other side for UNC, and I'm going to talk more about Duke because you know there's a whole other aspect of this, and that's what happened before uh, after the game. Excuse me, where Coach K came back out and they did the whole post-game ceremony which they were obviously planning on doing after a big win against North Carolina and it didn't go that way for them uh on the side for the Tar Heels so they're locked into the three seed now uh the regular season is over for for all college basketball teams and we're moving into the conference championship week which is one of the best weeks of the year a lot of afternoon basketball going on and you know, you sit down at 12 o'clock, you can see about 12 to 14 hours of college basketball every day for the next couple of days until about Friday where, you know, now some uh, semifinals and some championships will be occurring. Um, for UNC and for Hubert Davis, I mean – and and like I was mentioning before, when I was talking about UNC specifically, the guys, you know, Brady Manick came here to play in this game, and he won at Duke. And Armando Baycott wasn't the best, you know, wasn't the best version of himself last year. And then, you know, you saw pictures of him looking absolutely jacked before the season, and his, you know, he's really turned into the player that they were expecting, getting him out of, you know, the McDonald's All American game. Uh, R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Leaky Black held the best shooter on Duke, A.J. Griffin, who was R.J. Davis's teammate at Archbishop Stepanak, to two of five shooting after he's been pretty hot from the three-point line all season long. Um, you know, for this team, that's the best win of the season. 
And for this program, outside of a national championship win, I mean, at least in the regular season, that's the best win in program history. I mean, to spoil Coach K's last game, uh, to do it in the manner they did, to really just have an absolute performance from all five starters and really have nothing else, you know, in terms of the bench, this UNC team isn't that deep. And they knew what they were getting into in this game. They knew they were going to have to have the best performance of their UNC careers, basically, to pull this one out. And they did it. And I think that speaks to Hubert Davis as a coach. I was honestly a little skeptical of Hubert Davis, the hiring, when it happened last year. Um, And he's absolutely proved me wrong. Uh, In the beginning of the season, it wasn't looking good for UNC. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves at 23 and eight. Uh, Joe Lenardi has us as a eight seed. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. I think seven or six. Nah, I think six might be a little too high. I think seven is fair. And maybe it's because I'm a fan of the team and I'm hoping that we don't roll an eight in hopes of not seeing an Arizona, a Gonzaga in the first uh, weekend. But, They also have a very good chance to ensure they don't get on the 8-9 line in this uh, week where, to be honest with you, looking at the ACC tournament, uh, they have an easier road to the Saturday night game at the Barclays, the championship game, than the number one seed Duke does because Notre Dame is the two seed. I feel as if they have kind of limped their way towards the end, maybe just because they lost to Florida State recently. Um, I also just kind of – I've seen that team play a few times this year. I don't think they're that great. Um, Virginia, also a little bit of a down year, and that's their side of the bracket. So they would play the winner of Virginia, and um, I'm supposing Virginia Tech will beat their matchup in the 7-10 game. I'm not, I don't have the actual bracket in front of me at the current moment. So I don't know the specifics there. But I do know that I would not want to see the Miami Hurricanes right now in the ACC tournament. And luckily for the UNC Tar Heels, we won't have to see them until the championship. And that's if they are able to upset Duke after Duke. Uh, seemingly, well, that'll be the first game that we see on Thursday afternoon from Brooklyn. We'll take down the eighth seed in their first game, especially after you know coming off a loss. Those guys will be ready to play. I'm sure that'll be a tough game for the eighth seed regardless, but to get a fired-up Duke squad after that type of loss, after, you know, I've been a big fan of the J.J. Redick pod, uh, podcast recently. I think it's called The Old Man and the Three. Um, And he's an alumni of Coach K and of Duke. And he would say after bad losses that Coach K and the coaching staff would take away the Duke-issued team gear and they would go get like random pennies from from Dick's Sporting Goods or Models or whatever they had at that time. I think he actually says that it's uh, they would go down to the Walmart, which is even funnier. Um, And they'd have to wear that for a few days until they really earned themselves back the D on their chest or in, in last 
uh, in Saturday's case, the K on their chest because outside of Coach K himself, who was wearing uh, a white quarter zip that had a nice, uh, you know, the D for Duke, and it said the brotherhood on the top, every other coach had the same thing on, but with a K instead of the D, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, you know, the, I think that's the whole reason why I don't really necessarily agree with the retirement tour for Coach K, uh, because I've grown up personally seeing Roy Williams as the coach. And last year when Roy Williams was ready to retire, he, you know, you knew he was leaving uh, based on some things he said in his post-game pressers for, for a few weeks there leading up to the end. And then they beat Duke at home for the last game of the season. And uh, he kisses the court at the end of the game at half court. And that's, you know, that was kind of, that's when you knew for sure it was, it was, you know, that was it for him. Uh, I just think putting yourself above the pro, you know, it's college basketball. It should be about the guys should be about getting the players better. And, and, you know, these two programs cases, getting the, some of these dudes ready for the NBA, which both programs have done a very good job of. And more specifically, Duke has done a very good job of uh, over the last few years, namely Jason Tatum um, and, and Zion Williamson, you know, those, those, that big three, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, uh, those guys were really good as well. And, you know, UNC does not have as many guys. Uh, we do have Kobe White and Cam Johnson right now that I could definitely think of, Nas Little, but not making an M NBA impact like those four are from Duke. Um, you know, part of that's recruiting, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, for UNC, I have it in my notes. I, I don't know if I care how the rest of the season goes from here. Um, I, like I said, I'm hoping that the 8-9 game can be avoided uh, just in hopes of that we don't have to, you know, if we are lucky enough to win our first game in the college basketball tournament on Thursday or Friday, uh, next Thursday or Friday, excuse me, um, that we can, you know, avoid that one seed and maybe get a two seed that's looking ahead to the next weekend or that, you know, maybe just isn't as good as the seeding is telling you. And, uh, you know, you hope to go from there. But for right now, they're just having their thoughts and their minds on Brooklyn because I can tell you right now, if that Saturday night matchup is North Carolina Duke, North Carolina wants to win that game. They would love nothing more than not only to take the game from Coach K at his building on his retirement night, on his senior night, they would love to hoist that ACC tournament trophy and to bolster their resume uh, for, for the, for the big dance. So for Duke, um, uh, if you're not a fan of Duke, that is the funniest game, I think to, to just be a neutral party of because 
like I said, Duke was planning like that was a that was supposed to be a cakewalk for them. They just beat UNC by uh, 25 three weeks ago. Uh, Coach K's big day. All they have to do is just win so they can have an enjoyable post game performance or post game what you know. Uh, I guess it's uh, presentation. I should say is the word for Coach K, and then. He literally has to get up there and talk and apologize for the law. I mean, it just could not be funnier. I mean, it was hysterical for me as a UNC fan, but Twitter was ablaze when he came out and, you know, you saw the Duke guys hanging their head and in, in disbelief that they just lost like that on, on the big day. And, you know, coach K addressing the crowd as after losing that game. But like I said, I think, you know, I would love nothing more personally that if Duke didn't get out of the first weekend of, of the tournament of the big dance and didn't win the ACC championship either, especially if it's at the hands of North Carolina. Um, but it just looking at Duke's roster and, you know, uh, the fact that they lost this game and that it could really uh, kind of get them going down the stretch. Um, I, I, I don't want to say that I wouldn't be surprised if Duke makes a big run in March, but I could definitely see them being a team that gets to the elite eight, maybe gets to the final four. I don't think they're going to win the championship and, you know, coach K has only won five and 40 in his 42 years. So uh, I guess by the math, every seven years would be one and, this would this would be the icing on the cake, but I could definitely see them being fueled by that loss and getting hot at the right time and making a little bit of a run here in March. Um, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, and this is just more so general college basketball talk now. Um, so today, there were a couple of conference tournaments that have settled, and we have a couple of our first bids of the year, including in the Big South, the Longwood Lancers. Uh, the Longwood Lady Lancers also today uh, punched their ticket to the dance on the women's side, so shout-out to Longwood. I'm sure that's an awesome opportunity for that university to have both the men's and the women's team advancing to the postseason tournament um, in the Missouri Valley, sister jeans, Loyola, Chicago, the Ramblers uh, had their championship today uh, at the St. Louis enterprise center in arch madness and Drake who made it at last year as an at large bid. They made it back to the, Missouri uh, Valley Conference Championship this year. And they were up on Loyola early, but a 19-0 run for the Ramblers. And uh, I forget the guy's first name, but it's Denzel Valentine's brother, the old Michigan State player, when Michigan State was really good a few years ago and then was drafted, I believe, to the Chicago Bulls. I'm not exactly sure if he's still on the Bulls, but... His older brother is the coach of Loyola, 
And just like Porter Moser, who moved on to Oklahoma, don't envision Valentine being there too long uh, now that he has his Loyola Chicago Ramblers ranked 24 in the Ken Pomeroy rankings. Uh, Joe Lenardi has them as an 11 seed. And I kind of see this Loyola Chicago team being uh, that 11 seed that is going to be not only a tough out, but could make a deep run in March. Um, you know, you saw it when Loyola Chicago got in as a nine seed a couple of years ago when Porter Moser was the coach, made it all the way to the final four. Uh, UCLA last year got hot at the right time as an 11 seed. They went to the final four. Uh, a couple of other teams that just that kind of jump into my mind, uh, the VCU team from 2011, I believe it was, an 11 seed. So right now, that's where Joe Lenardi has them. Uh, let me look on their bracket, on the bracket, just to see who he has them matched up with because I, I believe in my notes I had, I did want to talk about a couple of good upset matchups, and this was one of them, I believe. So I'm going to scroll my bracket. Well, not my bracket. I'm going to scroll Lunardi's bracket and see what he has in store for the Ramblers, and that would be going to Indianapolis, and their four teams that they would be matched up with would be the 11-6 matchup against St. Mary's, which I believe they would be able to take down the West Coast Conference uh, at-large bid that they would get because I, um, Gonzaga plays San Francisco later tonight, and then St. Mary's must play uh, – I don't believe – BYU, BYU lost to San Francisco last night. I'm not sure who, who St. Mary's plays. Maybe I'll get that in a second while I'm still talking. And then Purdue, who I think is a good team that you can, you know, they'll be good, but I think that's a good matchup for them as Purdue's defense is not too great. And I think it's just a good matchup. Loyola Chicago is good on the defensive end. Purdue's offense is good, and if Loyola Chicago can have a good shooting night against Purdue, which Purdue's defense is very middle of the pack, that could be Loyola Chicago coming out of that weekend and into the Sweet 16. Um, St. Mary's tonight, I believe that game is at 11.30, plays Santa Clara. St. Mary's is a five-and-a-half-point favorite, so Vegas is expecting St. Mary's to advance to the West Coast conference final against seemingly would be Gonzaga as Gonzaga's 13 point favorites against the San Francisco Dons in the game before at 9 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Um, so Loyola Chicago, they had their bid punched. Also, the first bid was the Ohio Valley conference with the Murray State team no John Morant John Morant is in the NBA for a few years now but Murray State went about 30 and 2 I believe won their conference tournament with a nice win over um they had a big win on Saturday it was a closer game than I thought I think they were favored by about seven or eight points and they were able to clinch their bid with a victory. 
over Moorhead State. A four-point victory over Moorhead State. So those are the three teams so far that will be dancing. Um, a couple more games and a couple more bids will be clinched over the next two days, including tonight. We have the Sunbelt Conference, Louisiana and Georgia State will be facing off at 7 p.m. That game is on ESPN2. We also have Furman and Chattanooga in the Southern Conference Championship. That game will be on ESPN, also at 7 o'clock. And a couple of semifinals, where the semifinal will be Monday night, and then on Tuesday, the championship. I already mentioned the Western Conference, uh, where you know they have Gonzaga, San Francisco, and then St. Mary, Santa Clara. And a couple of the other conferences would be the Colonial, the Summit, um, the Horizon as well. The A-Sun finishes up their championship on Tuesday, as does the Northeast Conference, where I go to school, Sacred Heart. That'll be between Bryant and Wagner. Um, I entered a contest this year called the Jerome, where you pick all 32 conference winners. And um, the way the scoring works is that if your team makes the championship game, you get two points. If your team wins the championship game, you get an additional three points. Um, if the team was ranked outside of the top two in the seeding, you get another one point. And if the conference tournament was more than two games on neutral court or the team won or played and won more than two games on an away court, they also get an additional point. So, so far, I have 11 points as of yesterday. Um, Longwood beat Winthrop today, so I didn't get those three points. I had the Winthrop team. Um, they were not able to beat Longwood. I did have Loyola Chicago, and I'll get a few extra points there. I'll get seven points there the whole seven because I already had the two from, so I had 11 points. I had Murray state for five. I had Loyola for two making their championship. I had two for Winthrop making their championship. And I had the Bryant Bulldogs and they made the Northeastern conference championship, which they will host Wagner on Tuesday night. So that was 11. Then, um, I will be getting more points tomorrow as Loyola Chicago won. That would be an additional five from what I already didn't have. And then uh, I lost my team in the Sun Belt. I had Appalachian State. They lost to Louisiana. Um, I have Chattanooga in the Southern Conference Championship, so let's root for Chattanooga. Um, I have you know, a couple of these games. I'm not going to read every matchup, but I have Gonzaga in the Western Conference. I have Cleveland State in the Horizon. I have North Dakota State in the Summit. I have Towson in the Colonial. Um, I also lost my A-Sun team, Jackson State. 
the Atlantic Sun Tournament. And I want to talk about that real quick because this happened in the NEC a couple of years ago when Merrimack made their ascension from the lower division. I believe they were Division Three, and they went all the way up to Division One. And NCAA has this rule, and Bellarmine is going to be the next victim of this if they win the A-Sun Championship on Tuesday. The NCAA has this rule when if you ascend from the lower divisions and you win your conference championship in your first season, and this is also in football too, you are not allowed to qualify for the next postseason tournament. So Bellarmine, if they win their championship, doesn't get to go to the big dance just because they're transitioning. I mean, I don't see the purpose of that rule. Uh, that would be pretty unfortunate for Bellarmine. I mean, especially these automatic qualifier uh, conferences where they're only getting the automatic qualifier and that's it. Seems unfair when, you know, this could be the only time that Bellarmine goes for, for a few years, uh, you know, and at least, you know, uh, a football saying that Coach Nuns would always have for us is, you know, this team is never getting together again. Yeah, Bergen Catholic's playing next year. A lot of you guys will be back. But the same exact players from Bellarmine, that, that team will never be together again after the A-Sun championship game. And if they win, it doesn't seem fair to those guys and to those coaches that work so hard all uh, over the year that if they win the championship, they don't get to go to the big dance and hear their name called on Selection Sunday. Now, another interesting part about this is that Bellarmine plays Jacksonville. And Jacksonville beat Jacksonville State, who was the champion of the regular season. Now, you'd think that because Jacksonville's, uh, Jacksonville University was playing Bellarmine in the championship, uh, if they were to lose to Bellarmine, that they would be the team, right? No. It is the conference champion of the regular season, Jacksonville State, who didn't even make the championship game. So I, I just think that that doesn't really seem like a good rule. And hopefully Bellarmine wins so that maybe the NCAA considers changing it. Um, so the Jerome, I think, is a cool thing. I'm not sure if the prize is anything too big. Um, and... You know, we'll see how everything goes here. Uh, I want to get back to Lenardi and his seeding because I think there's a few more matchups here that I am uh, seeing that I like for some upsets. Now, one thing I see is he has, like I said before, he has my North Carolina Tar Heels going to San Diego as a part of the Midwest bracket to face Iowa State. Iowa State had a good year in the Big 12 this year, went 20-11. and 11. Uh, I would not want to really play them. I think they're a solid nine seed. And then if we were to beat them, we play the winner of Arizona and the automatic qualifier from the Horizon and the NEC, which could be any team of, you know, Wagner, Bryant, Cleveland State, and a couple others. So, um uh, I don't want to see that. Um, in terms of the Midwest, I don't see anything else really crazy here. Um, 
one matchup. I don't, you know, Creighton as a 10, I, I don't necessarily like Creighton, but I think if they were to match up with Boise State, which is what he has in a 7-10, I like Creighton there. Um, Iona as a 13 is a team to watch with Rick Pitino as the head coach of the Gales. Uh, he also has them in the South Division. Um, let's see. Memphis. I saw Memphis play today. Memphis played Houston, and Houston is slotted in right now as a four or a five. I believe Lenardi has them here as a five. I think if they have a good week in the American Athletic Tournament and ultimately end up beating Memphis, uh, they could be jump up. They could be jumped up to a four, maybe. So um I I don't like I do like Memphis. Memphis played a really great game today. They were pressing the hell out of Houston. Houston was turning the ball over like it was, you know, going out of style. Uh, Memphis, you know, the the knock on Penny Hardaway as a coach has been that he's had a bunch of really talented teams and not gotten all of all of what they have been potential of out of them. But you could argue that when he had James Wiseman at Memphis, when you know, Wiseman played a few games and then decided to sit out the rest of the year for the NBA draft, that it was probably tough on the guys in the locker room. You know, people forget when college basketball gets to this point of the season, when it's March and they take the national spotlight, that these guys are just kids. And, like, you know, having an integral part of your team and uh, the number one NBA prospect of the year at that, um, leave your team in the middle of the season when you're expecting them to, you know, lead your team to great things in that year, it could be tough for those guys to perform the rest of the season. So he has a bunch of guys, including Imani Bates coming back from injury at the right time. He has Memphis playing right at the right time. And Joe Lenardi has them as an 11 against Ohio state in a six 11 matchup. And I like Memphis there. Um, just scrolling to see if I'm missing any. Uh, Michigan had a good win yesterday on March 6th against Ohio State without their best player, Hunter Dickinson, who was battling stomach issues. That was very impressive. Um, I know I just kind of pooped on Ohio State and their season so far by saying Memphis would take them out in an 11-6 matchup. Um but I don't think that necessarily means that they're a bad team by any means. I think that means Memphis is going to be a really good team and a tough out in March. I don't see any others. Um, I do want to talk about the multiple bids that Lenardi has. Obviously, the team is made up of uh, the bracket is made up of 68 teams, uh, 32 automatic qualifiers, and 36 at-large bids. Um, now, the multiple bid conferences are as follows, in, according to Joe Lenardi. Uh, Big 10 with eight teams, the Big East with seven, the Southeastern Conference with six, the Big 12 with six, the ACC with five, the Mountain West with four, the Pac-12 with three, the Western Conference with three, and the American with three. Now, uh, a lot of 
multiple bid, uh, eight bids there for the Big Ten. And I was going to kind of talk about if uh, I think that the Big Ten personally is going to get exposed in the big big dance. Um, now, Rutgers is a really interesting case here. Rutgers is going at, to, at the current moment, is matched up with SMU in the play-in game on Tuesday. Now, Rutgers is the fourth seed in the Big Ten. They had a really good year in the conference, despite having a bad year out of conference. And, you know, their resume isn't great because there's some bad losses in there from the out of conference. And they also couldn't win a lot of games on the road. They were a lot better at home. It was tough to win at the rack this year. And I guess they're calling it Jersey Mike's arena now. Um, but you saw with UCLA last year, you play in the playing game and, you know, you get one under you and then all of a sudden you went on Thursday and then all of a sudden you got two in a row. And then, you know, that could be uh, a good spot for Rutgers. Um, they still have to make it there. I think if they were to lose their quarterfinal that, you know, they would kind of be in a discussion for being left out of the big, of the big tournament. And I, I you know, People, especially around here, are you know saying Rutgers is definitely in, and I, I don't really think so. I think their resume is not great. I don't think their team is that great. I do like Ron Harper, despite him being a Don Bosco guy, um, and I'm a Burden Catholic guy. So, you know, usually that you don't root for guys like that, but I, I think he's been a great, great program builder for Rutgers he's done a lot of great things while he's been there he's had a couple of great moments this year with some buzzer beaters and you know they've had a couple of wins against ranked opponents at home and that must have been awesome for the Rutgers students and for the for the athletic department and all those people down there um but I you know I I think uh they they have a tough role you know being the four seed Iowa is the five. If Iowa takes down, you know, their first round matchup and, you know, gets into that, that quarterfinal on Friday, I believe it is, uh, Rutgers might have a tough time with Iowa. Because especially Iowa coming out off of a loss against Illinois on Sunday night um, at Illinois. You know, it's a tough, tough to go anywhere in college hoops and, you know, take a win. I've been saying this now for two episodes um you know coming off a loss i think you know that kind of gets uh coach mccaffrey's team ready to roll and keegan murray has been the best player i think in the in the big 10 this year um but i'm gonna read the standings and maybe i don't know if i could get the bracket up pretty quick for the big 10 but i wanna i wanna bring it up just because I want to read the top eight teams and just, you know, I, I personally don't think that this conference should be regarded as the number one conference in college basketball this year. Now, I've watched a lot of college hoops. I understand why people won't say that it's the Big East because of, you know, NBA talent and all this other stuff. But I think top to bottom, like 
in terms of the competition in the Big East, you know, the difference between team one and team seven, if, you know, you're saying seven teams are getting in uh, into the tournament, uh, the difference is the shortest between one and seven in the Big East. Now, you can make of that what you will. I say that that means that everybody in the Big East is battle-tested. I don't think it's because, you know, Villanova's bad or Providence is a lucky team. You know, Lenardi has these two teams as three and four. Respect, uh, respectively, in his bracket, I, you know, it's tough because maybe they are deserving of higher. And there's, a, you know, a couple of other good teams this year where you can't really move them out of their spot. So, you know, you just kind of fall in. I think that it really just shows that college basketball as a whole is pretty deep this year, and there's not really, you know, a couple of easy favorites to pick. I guess you could say so. I'm going to read, you know, the brackets. And uh, I think I started bringing up this whole point with Wisconsin losing today to Nebraska. So Wisconsin was the one seed going into today. They followed the two seed as they lost. And Nebraska won against them in Madison. And Illinois beat Iowa in uh, Champaign. So um, I'm going to read the top eight. Wisconsin is one, Illinois is two, Purdue is three, Iowa is uh, – this is – is this even right? Oh, yes, because Rutgers must have won the um, – Rutgers must have some tiebreakers over Iowa and Ohio Iowa and Ohio State. It's always tough to say those two back-to-back. Wisconsin, Illinois, Purdue, Iowa, Ohio State, Rutgers, Michigan State, and Michigan. Now, a team that has limped seemingly into March, that has a great coach, that has a reputation for winning late in March, and that has a talented roster and could honestly make some noise just in the Big Ten tournament alone, not only, and then I also would include them as a potential team to make some noise in the – in, in the NCAA tournament is Michigan State. Now, Tom Izzo, maybe at the end of the line, maybe, you know, maybe it's his last seat. Who, who knows? He's not the type of guy to take a retirement tour, that's for sure. Um, but I, I just don't see Michigan State necessarily being an easy team to take down. Uh, They did have a tough stretch there where they really, I think, had a losing streak going of a few games in a row. Definitely within the conference, yes, they had one, two, three there in a row, starting with a loss uh, at Penn State, which is pretty tough. You know, losing to Illinois and Iowa is no, you know, that's not, those aren't bad losses, but at the end of the day, if you look at their schedule from their loss at Rutgers, they finished the season two, five, seven. So they finished the season three and seven. Um, according to Ken Pomeroy's rankings, which I will bring up more than a few times for the rest of the episode, he has them ranked as the 43rd best team in the country, but two important 
factors to look at are adjusted offense and adjusted defense. Now, I personally follow and paid for a guy named Tim Hold. I believe his Twitter handle is at thold42. Um, and I highly suggest that you guys follow this guy and get in touch with this guy um, because he runs this call, this thing called the March Madness Sheet. Now, what is the March Madness Sheet? Well, he is currently compiling data and will be continuing to compile data throughout Champ Week and the few days before the opening round on Tuesday with the play-in games. Um, on all teams that have made the conference tournament and some important stats that would support and help you pick out winners and losers in your bracket. Now, an important thing to look at when considering your bracket is offensive and defensive efficiency. Um, uh, I have last year's sheet up. And, you know, I obviously don't want to give a lot away um, because, you know, he does charge $10 for this sheet and it is absolutely worth the $10. I'll be giving it to him again this year, despite having a lot of this information just about general, you know, stats and stuff like that already here from last year. It's not going to change, but he does compile, you know, I'm looking up at the top of the sheet from last year and he has three things to like about each team and three things to dislike about each team, uh, their strength of schedule, their Ken Palm ranking, their net ranking, everything's there. So um, I'm just going to read maybe one, one team that he had last year. Uh, let's read, let's read his rank, his, his Rutgers uh, three things to like and dislike from last year. Um, so he has 18th overall defense, according to Ken Palm. They get into you and make you take tough shots. 67th in efficient in field goal efficiency percentage, uh, 84th in defending the three and 87th against twos. Then he mentions Ron Harper and Jacob Young, who had 15 and 14 points respectfully last season, can put up 20 plus and carry. Strong guard play is huge in the tournament. So decent matchup against Clemson in round one will be a tough fight, and Rutgers did end up winning that matchup. Uh, and then he writes his three things to dislike. He is bad at three-point shooting. They are still very bad at three-point shooting. Four and nine against quad one, including a loss by 22 two weeks before the tournament to Nebraska, who was bad uh, last year as well. And if they get past Clemson, Houston should make easy work of them in round two, which is correct. So this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, and, you know, the, some of these stats are pretty awesome. I'm going to read a couple. It is where I got my stat that I mentioned last week on the pod where I said, um, you know, he is the one who is responsible for the uh, – January AP top 10 stat. Um, I'm going to look through real quick to confirm that stat with you, which is one team that is unranked in the 
January AP poll has been in 56% of the last 18 Final Fours, including eight of the last 10. And that would have been UCLA last year. Um, 14 of 18 of the last Final Fours had two teams in the top 10 of the last January AP poll, which that would have been three teams last year, Gonzaga, Houston, and um, Baylor. All 18 of the last Final Fours have included at least one team ranked in the top 10 of the last January AP poll. So uh, that's just one stat that he has that, you know, it's just pretty cool stuff. And like I said, helps you pick a winner, helps you, you know, pick just winners of individual games. And, you know, once you get into, you know, your Sweet 16 matchups with the bracket and the Elite Eight, I think this is a very good sheet and uh, a lot of great information on there. It also talks about how teams that are on a winning streak of 10 or more are very unlikely to make the Final Four. Um, has some other stats such as if the tip game if the tip of the game is delayed by 15 minutes or more, that the under is on a good streak over the last couple of years in the NCAA tournament. Um, but more so, I would look into it for the offensive and defensive efficiency stats because if your team is in the top 75 of both, you're a pretty good choice for a sweet 16 if you're in the top 40 of both you're a pretty good choice for the elite eight maybe a final four and if you're in the top 25 of both you're a good contender for the final four uh and the championship um shout out to tim uh found him by way of rico bosco at barstool um i'm a big rider always a rider uh and like I said, this sheet is the best thing going, I feel like, in terms of uh, information about college basketball, especially for a lot of people who are just kind of casuals, want to have a bracket, want to gamble on the games while they're on. This is what you need if you are not paying attention to the season very closely for the rest or for the last few months. So um, I highly recommend giving them a follow going over and you know when he announces that the sheet is ready give him your ten dollars via venmo uh he sends it uh on google on you know you have to just have a gmail account so we can send it and you can open the doc and it's you know you can't edit it so no one's gonna screw around with it um and last year he gave out 32 pages of info all the way down to he had every team in the tournament listed with the the um ball brand that they use you know Nike Adidas Wilson the Rock Spalding because now Wilson is the uh, official sponsor i believe of the NCAA tournament in in terms of the basketball use so you know maybe if you if you believe in okay these are the guys that use the Wilson ball in the season uh they'll be the better shooting team you know in this game and that's why I'm going to choose them. Like 
then there's your information right there. So uh, like I've been saying, go give that guy a follow. Go give him your $10 for the madness sheet and go win your bracket and thank me when you're done. Um, do I have anything else to talk about about college basketball? Uh, not really. I let you know. I guess you know. I want to rank. I want to rank the uh, the five, the six big conferences this year. Um, at six, Pac-12, definitely. Uh, like Lunardi said, three at-large bids. It's going to be Arizona. It's going to be. Um, you know, that's always bad when you can't even think of the top teams right off the bat. But, you know, I think that's Arizona's conference to lose. I'd be very surprised if they were not able to take home the Pac-12 tournament championship after taking the regular season championship home. Um, you know, one team, I guess, to look out for in March out of that side is Oregon. Dana Altman always has his team ready to play when they're headed out to the Pac-12 Conference Championship, the Conference of Champions, as you would be reminded by Bill Wallen if you were watching a late-night game. Um, at five, I would take – let's see. What do I have left here? At five – ACC, the ACC is in a down year. It's very clear, despite the turnaround here of North Carolina. And um, Duke has had an amazing year, despite their loss on Saturday. Uh, the other two teams, by the way, for the Pac-12 that will get in are UCLA and USC. I think UCLA, after their Final Four appearance last year from the 11, are going to be fired up to, to get it going in March. And you know, we'll see what they get, uh, what they get as a as a draw in their weekend in their first weekend matchups with their their group of four. But uh, I would not want to see them with their experience, uh, especially after we'll see what happens at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Um, and their their counterparts over on the other side of Los Angeles, uh, Southern California, also a solid season. So those three teams. Um, so my six rankings were Pac-12 at six, ACC at five. Um, and, you know, I know that the Big Twelve, uh, the Big Ten is with eight eight um, at-large bids here, but I'm gonna put them at four. No, I'm gonna put Big Twelve at four. I'm going to put the Big Ten at three. I'm going to put the Big East at two and the SEC at one. I think the SEC is really getting slept on. Uh, I see that Auburn has fallen into the two seed from uh, for, for Joey Brackets. You know, there's a couple of teams down there getting at-large bids in like six and seven seeds, such as Alabama and LSU, who are going to be tough to take down just in terms of the talent that they have on their rosters. Um, and it's just the best time of the year, folks. Like that, if you don't love March Madness, then there's something wrong with you. Like, this is the ultimate time of the year. You know, there's sports going on, just really one sport going on around the clock. 
everyone in the country paying attention to it, whether they enjoy the sport or not, um, or whether they really follow the sport or not. So just a great time and uh, can't wait to see how it plays out. Um, and let's move on to the National Basketball Association. So uh, on episode one, I was starting to consider changing my goat from the king to Michael Jordan. Um, and I think I was getting swayed by the way the Lakers have been playing recently. And, you know, that has had nothing to do with LeBron. LeBron's having a great career year. Uh, you know, no one has ever played this well, this old before. Um, and I think we're going to get into that. You know, I think this is this is what I think about LeBron in terms of the Lakers. A couple of years ago, if he had, you know, a roster that wasn't really uh, up to par, which I don't think it's that the roster isn't up to par. I think sometimes they look unmotivated to be out there. I think the Lakers higher ups and LeBron may have overestimated the abilities of Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony and couple other guys they brought on um i think the roster isn't too deep because they got rid of the depth to get anthony davis and i think in another year or you know earlier in lebron's career he would have already started you know uh the lakers were nine or ten in the western conference before their big win on lebron's 56 and 10 on 19 of 31 shooting um, believe they were 10 so you know that would be in in the play-in tournament in the NBA Western Conference I think previous to you know a few years ago he would have been already in this mode of like okay I've got to go put up absurd numbers to go get this team in and you know into a good spot in the playoffs and whatnot um Obviously, he's 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 up there in age. He doesn't want to, you know, risk injury, and he's you know had a couple of mortal uh, things happen to him over the last two years, three years, where like he never got injured before, and now you know he's had a groin here and an ankle there, and um, you know he doesn't want to risk doing something crazy like that, and you know. If LeBron goes out, the Lakers season is definitely over. So I think he knows that. I think everyone that follows the team knows that. I think everyone in the locker room knows it. So he was definitely, I don't want to say he was reserving himself, but he was being careful. He was also trying to see, like, what do I have on this team? Can can I rely on Melo? Can I rely on Russell Westbrook? And I think his answer is definitely no. Um, you know, he does have a couple of young guys there, Stanley Johnson trying to prove himself in the NBA. Uh, Austin Reeves, the rookie from Oklahoma, can shoot the three a little bit. There isn't really much on the Lakers roster that's exciting and that looks like can help LeBron. So what does LeBron do? He goes out against the Golden State Warriors and he drops 56 and 10 and makes me immediately feel bad for you know even considering maybe that Michael Jordan was greater than what we can see on a nightly basis from LeBron James. Um, 
The only thing I really want to say about the NBA before I send you guys on your way on a beautiful Monday, um, Monday of conference championship week in college basketball, is that this is the most wide open, at least that I can remember in the last, you know, seven or eight years. This is the most wide open that the NBA has ever been, uh, you know, for a few years there. Not that you didn't have to play the season, you definitely did, but anyone with a brain could have told you, okay, it's going to be Golden State and it's going to be the team LeBron's on. And obviously that happened five straight years. Um, and the NBA was, was still entertaining. You know, there was some young talent, but now that young talent has turned into, you know, some top, 10 and some top five talent in some cases. And uh, it's late here on Monday morning, almost 5 a.m. now. And I'm rewatching, you know, I'm not even rewatching. It's just kind of on and, you know, the light in my basement while I'm, while I'm talking into my computer and into my microphone. I'm rewatching the fourth quarter here of the Boston Celtics and the Nets, where the Celtics took down the Nets 126 to 120 uh, Sunday afternoon. Jason Tatum at 54 points. Like this kid is a dog. No one is talking about the Boston Celtics right now. Boston Celtics have won 17 of 20 games. And before they did that, people were saying, trade Jalen Brown, trade Jason Tatum, blow it up. Uh, does anyone remember that these guys are 23 years old? Like I'm 22 years old doing a podcast in my mother's basement for 10 of you. Uh, Jason Tatum just took down Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. And I know the Brooklyn Nets are not having uh, a great year at the current moment, but with the second best NBA player in the world on a team, and, you know, I don't know where to rank Kyrie. He's somewhere, I believe, in the top 10, though. With two top 10 talents on the other side, uh, for, for Jason Tatum to do what he did today, I mean, I've been saying for a while, and when, you know, the Hardo podcast, when What a Hardo was, was uh, at its best, it was me and, me and Colin trying to tell Ant, uh, these Celtics, man, watch out for these Celtics. And here they are, 17 of 20. Um, you know, and, and they're not the only story in the NBA right now, I feel like going on talked about. Uh, the East is wide open. Uh, everyone's talking about James Harden and Joel Embiid. But in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, James Harden has never. Uh, gotten himself to the NBA finals before and most of the time they have missed they have missed their chance to go to the NBA finals because of bad performance from James Harden himself in the playoffs so i you know i don't want to say i don't believe in the sixers i i do believe in the sixers i think they're a great team i think Joel Embiid's great i think Tyrese Maxey like everyone has seen over the last couple of weeks, is really emerging as a star in the NBA. But it's just so wide open in the East, and it's so wide open in the West that, you know, even the Phoenix Suns today lost to the Milwaukee Bucks, who are a four or five seed right now in the in the East. So 
I think there's like nine or ten teams where you could really say like this team has a good chance this year. Uh, the Warriors don't look good right now, but Draymond Green is out, and they're really showing how much, how valuable he is, and how great he really is. Despite you know a lot of people trolling him for just being a good defender, but like clearly the team needs him. They're bad on defense right now. LeBron had his way on Saturday night, um, and they're two of eight in their last ten. Uh, you know, a couple of other quick results that I just, like I said, I'm following the NBA season a little bit from afar right now. Like I'm more so in the college basketball swing of things. You know, I, I've been following the college basketball season since the, the day it tipped off and I'm a lot more interested in it. And it's not because the talent isn't good in the NBA. Like I've been saying, it's not because you know, I'm just, I just find the college basketball game to be more entertaining and more interesting to me. Maybe that's not more interesting to you. Unfortunately, I'm not going to have, you know, in the next month too much to say about the NBA. So maybe you're going to want to find another podcast, but um, the NBA is wide open. Joker had a 45 triple, uh, 45 point triple double and a win tonight. Um. You know, Memphis Grizzlies are here right now with John Morant. John Morant looking like an MVP candidate. Uh, unfortunately, he's going to probably lose to Joel Embiid, who's having a good, a great year. You know, the Joker's having a great year. Uh, LeBron, even though he won't win it, having a great year. Tatum now, uh, you know, scoring the basketball at will. You know, you have DeMar DeRozan and the Bulls, who have – fallen on some hard times recently but that doesn't mean they can't find themselves in the last month of the season before the playoffs begin they used to begin in the you know mid-april i'm not sure with the way the calendar and the nba has moved around a little bit recently because of the bubble and stuff if that is still the case but uh, i believe there's only like 20 more games of the nba season left so that would be about a month and a half, bringing you out to, you know, about April 20th, April, you know, maybe May 1st. I'm not exactly sure. Um, the NBA is wide open. Uh, you know, the loser of the game that I'm watching and re-watching currently as Tatum just backed down Steph Curry and missed a uh, missed a about seven-footer. And this, is, this was a two-point game with 350 left and – Celtics did win. Tatum had nine of the last 16 points as the score is 110 to 108 right now. Kyrie Irving for three, miss. Um, the Nets have lost 17 of their last 20, but Kyrie Irving hasn't been allowed to play at the Barclays, and that's kind of a bullshit rule within itself. I don't want to get it too political, but Anybody else who's unvaccinated in the NBA can play there, and anybody else who's unvaccinated can now go to the games. I don't see why Kyrie Irving cannot play in them. Um, so they've been missing their their top two players. James Harden was a no factor for them. Basically, he was. I mean, he's not good on defense. Uh, luckily, those 76ers have other players like Maxi and. Matisse Tybel to take care of that for them. Um, the Celtics made a trade. 
you know, Seth Curry has obviously been a fa- uh, a good piece for them. Andre Drummond has and will be a good, uh, great piece for them down the stretch. Uh, uh, Kevin Durant just came back healthy. And if Kyrie Irving, if, you know, if, all, if that whole team is together, just don't count out the Nets just yet. Uh, I, I'm a big troll of the Nets, and, you know, and most of it I will say is because James Harden was on the team and now my trolling will have to move down the uh, I-95 over to Philly and to James Harden, you know, follow James Harden with the uh, Sixers, even though um, I am a fan of Joel Embiid, though. Um, you can't count out the Nets. Like, this is, this is probably the most talented team in the NBA at full strength. And, uh, you know, um, they've fallen on hard times as well. But that's just kind of because their depth was also uh, over the last few years to acquire a few of these pieces has been has been pretty much, you know, emptied for these top guys. And, you know, when the three top players on the team are not playing in, in Durant, Irving and Simmons mostly at all, but definitely not on a regular basis in terms of Kyrie Irving. It's tough to get uh, chemistry. It's, it's tough to, to win games when Kyrie Irving's not on the court. It's tough to win games when both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are not on the court. And, you know, we'll see how Ben Simmons impacts them as well. Um, so the NBA is wide open. It's going to be exciting. Uh, college basketball is going to be exciting. Um, I'm excited to, you know, keep this podcast going as March moves along. Uh, I'll be back for episode three on Selection Sunday. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in to episode two of the Go Be Great podcast with Michael Contento. And I'll see you guys next time.